Now we are awaiting. What are we waiting? Psalm 110. Look at it. The Lord says to my Lord, that is the Lord of the capital letters. We've got capitals, haven't we? That means Yahweh. Yahweh says to my Lord, that is my master, sit at my right hand until, until I make your enemies your footstool. See, we humans very foolishly want instant gratification, whereas God is patient, slow to anger, not temperamental like us, slow to bring justice at the right time. The righteous live patiently by faith. See, this was the, the folly of Baal. Baal worship was instant gratification. This is the folly of the cargo cults. They want to turn to God and then for the planes to arrive and give them all the possessions. This is the folly of Pentecostalism and Charismatics. They want heaven in the here and now. They want instantly what is really only for the resurrection age. Wealth, justice, health. They're the resurrection age things. We've got to wait for them. While the God of the Bible is a covenant-giving God. He gives his promises... And then over time, he keeps his promises. It's why faith and faithfulness are so important. Faith is not superstition. We've got to get another word now because our non-Christian friends all think we're talking about superstition when we're talking about faith. What we mean is trust. It's not a religious concept. It's just to trust. God gives his promise and I trust him that he will keep his promise. I gave my promise to my wife in 1969 when I married her. I promised to love her for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and health, till death us do part. And I've been keeping those promises ever since. She trusts me, I trust her as we keep those promises. Nothing to do with superstition. I'm not superstitious about my wife. She's not superstitious about anything, let alone especially me. It's we've given our word and we trust each other with our word. God gives his word and we trust God. And while we are here, we are waiting for the fullness of time. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 9 and 10 talks about being making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. God's plan is to bring everything under the headship of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's his plan. That's what he's doing in the world today. That is the program. Before Christ came, God overlooked the sinfulness of people. He could have stopped the world the day Adam sinned. Say, so, well, that was a mistake. Let's try a different... That was not the plan of God, not the purpose of God. He bore with the wicked sinfulness of humanity all through the centuries, waiting for the right moment to send his son to die for the sinfulness of humanity and to rise again and start the new age. And he could have finished the world then. But who would have been saved by the death of Jesus if he'd finished the world then? But no, he rose his son who sent his spirit to work in us to bring about God's plan for the rest of time. And what's God's plan for the rest of time? That all the nations will come under the lordship of Jesus Christ. 
The times of ignorance, says Paul, God has overlooked. But now he has set a day upon which he will judge the world by a man in righteousness. But now is the time for repentance. See, why the delay? It's so that Christ can have all his enemies placed under his feet. It's so the gospel can go out to all the nations. It's so that all the peoples of the world have the opportunity to repent and find forgiveness. We're at the end of Matthew's gospel. Look at the parallel at the end of Luke's gospel. Just go across to Luke's gospel. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John jumped on the horse, couldn't stay on. You got it? Luke chapter 24. Luke 24, verse 44. After he'd eaten the fish, then he said, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets of the Psalms, in other words, everything in the Old Testament, might be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. What the Old Testament tells us is that the Christ must suffer, that the Christ must rise, and that repentance and forgiveness is to be preached to all the nations. That's what the Old Testament's message ultimately boils down to. The coming of the Christ, to suffer on the cross for the sins of the world, to rise to be established as the king of the new age that is coming, and to have the gospel of repentance and forgiveness preached in all the world. And the gospel is about his death and resurrection. Repentance and forgiveness is the response to that message, but it is the only appropriate response to that message and the effect of that message. And the same historical necessity lay upon the cross as lay upon the resurrection. And the same historical necessity that lay on the cross and the lay on the resurrection also lies on the preaching of the gospel to the ends of the earth. There's a little Greek word there, dei, D-E-I, which means must. The Christ must suffer wasn't an optional extra, it was always the intention and plan of God. The Christ must rise. If he stayed dead, he wouldn't have paid for the sins of the whole world. He must rise. And having risen, the gospel must be preached to the nations. Come with me to 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3. It's up the back of your New Testament. It's a little harder to find than some of the other bits we've referred to. After Hebrews, after James, after 1 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 3. Pick it up, verse 7. But the same word, by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire being kept until the day of judgment and the destruction of the ungodly. But don't overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord a day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfil his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, 
And then the heavens will pass with a ray, with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burnt up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are on it will be exposed. Notice the delay. I, I don't want to tell you how to be a thief, but even I think you could work out, so I'm not giving away a great secret here. One of the essence of a thief is to, is, is to steal when they're not expecting it. You know, as a thief, don't send out a, a kind of message, tomorrow night I'm coming around to <laughs> knock off your goods and possessions. You know, it generally doesn't work very well. You know, visiting cards kind of sent out ahead like a real estate agent. That's a different kind of thief. So don't, <laughs> don't send out the message. You arrive when they least expect it. That's when the thief operates, isn't it? When you least expect it, the Lord will return. But he's being patient. He's not rushing back. For us, it's a huge long period of time, a thousand years, but that's just like a day to the Lord. He will come in his good time. He'll come suddenly when he comes, but he'll come in his good time. Why doesn't he come now? Why didn't he turn up yesterday? Why didn't he turn up last year? Why didn't he turn up two years ago? Well, if he'd turned up two years ago, Davy wouldn't be saved because he only became a Christian last year. If he turned up ten years ago, some of you wouldn't have been saved, would you? Aren't you glad he's waiting? It's wonderful news, isn't it? If he turned up in 1958, I wouldn't be saved. I'm glad he's waiting. Because the reason for his waiting is that all should reach repentance. He's giving humanity the time, the opportunity to turn back and receive the message of the Lord Jesus Christ, to come into the kingdom of God that the Lord Jesus Christ has, ar has risen to bring. For this is the plan of God and this is the phase of the plan that we're in. This is the moment to bring the enemies of Christ under his feet. This is the phase in which to bring the nations in as his inheritance. This is the phase of proclaiming to the nations their forgiveness. This is the phase of calling upon the nations to repent. And so this is the age for the missionaries. We live in the missionary age. So let me talk to you again about missionaries. Start with the definition. What is a missionary? Well, it's not someone who crosses the water. As if going to the North Shore will suddenly make a normal human being a missionary. Seeing they're the ones who live south of the harbour. You don't have to go overseas, nor do you have to cross a culture to be a missionary. A missionary is one who preaches to the nations, whatever nation, whatever people, whatever person around you, whoever is preaching, wherever they are, who are preaching the forgiveness of sins and repentance, who are preaching the death of the Lord Jesus Christ and the risen. It's not someone who is paid Paul worked for some time as a missionary, as a tent maker. On other occasions he was paid. It's just somebody who gives their life to the preaching of the gospel, who frames their life around the preaching of the gospel, who understands that this is the age in which to preach the gospel, who sees that the reason why this age exists is so that the gospel will be preached and therefore creates all their life around doing that for which God has given us life namely the preaching of the gospel. The missionary is anyone who is committed to the mission, 
whose life, whose finances, whose family, whose death is shaped by the mission. And therefore all Christians should be missionaries. All Christians should be tent makers. Tent makers are not a special category of Christians, like there's full-time ministers and there's lay people and then there's tent makers. All lay people are tent makers. They're paying for themselves to be missionaries. Some people are set aside from tent making to do it full-time. But all Christians should be missionaries, be it full-time or be it self-funded. All Christians should be missionaries because the reason why the Lord Jesus hasn't returned already is so that you will preach the gospel to the ends of the earth. If it wasn't for this being the missionary age, the world would have ended already. And so it affects the way you think and live in every part of your existence. As I mentioned to you last night, I'll put it up again in a slightly different form. That is, as you leave university, what are you going to do? There are those who leave with a career mentality. I'm going to climb the ladder of the corporate success. I'm going to start off as an engineer, then I'll be... Engineers don't stay engineers very long unless they're very clever engineers. They nearly always become uh, administrators, managers by their late 20s and by their early 30s. They've moved into being middle management and they're heading into the executive clause. By the time they're 50, they're company directors. And what they're directing has got all nothing to do with the engineering they started. You know, they start as electrical engineers and now they're a company director director for a footwear kind of company. I mean, it's got nothing. They've climbed their career to success. And as they go, they buy the house, the biggest, best house you can, because that's the safest investment in Sydney. And therefore, you get the biggest mortgage you can. And because you've got the biggest mortgage you can, you cannot do anything but work the way the company wants you to work, because how else can you afford your mortgage? But because you're a Christian leaving university, you do go to church. But that's not how to be a Christian. That's not how a missionary functions. That's not true Christianity. When church becomes the afterthought of your life, then Christ is really of no importance to you. No, no, it's the other way around. The Christian should leave university saying, what is the ministry I'm going to do? How am I going to advance the cause of the gospel of Jesus Christ? How am I going to share in the reaching of the nations? How will I let the world know that Christ is Lord? What will I do to assist in this? It may be that I will raise lots of money to send other people. It may be that I will go. It may be that I will stay here and support the local church as it sends missionaries. But my mindset is about how do I minister the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? And on the basis of that, I then look for the church with whom I can cooperate to do this. And on the basis of that, I then try and find the house whatever house is needed to be able to live where the church is in order to be able to do the ministry. And because I need housing, I'll get a job. Now, because I'm a university graduate, I'm likely to get a job that pays more, which enables me to be able to give more and do more than if I wasn't a university graduate. But it's just a job. And in fact, I will make career choices that the world thinks is mad because it's just a job. I've got some law friends 
who chose to work in big law firms. Big law firms are the tyrants of all tyrants. Everything, everything is, is billed by six minutes. Your whole life runs every six minutes, etc. They're terrible tyrants. But they have chosen to be the house lawyer. No one wants to be the house lawyer. You never move from house lawyer to judge. You never move from house lawyer to, a, to be a barrister, to be a silk. You, you never move. If you're a house lawyer, you're the dog's body of everybody because you just do the law for the other lawyers. You just do their conveyancing for them and things like that. And these people have chosen to be the house lawyer. Why? Because they start at nine, they finish at five, there's no overtime, there's no extra work, there's no extra pressure, which enables them to get on with the ministry of the gospel. You get paid enough as a house lawyer to live very comfortably. You'll never reach the top, you'll never reach partner, you'll never reach the big money, but who needs the top and the big money? Who needs the stress and the strain of working 80-hour weeks? How can you preach the gospel working 80 hours a week trying to help rich people avoid taxation? You can't preach the gospel doing that, you see. And so they take the opportunity of professional life, of university qualifications they've got, in order to have a job which gets them the house because they're actually involved in a church which is seeking to reach the world with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you hear the difference between the two things? There's lots and lots of people who think they're Christians but don't live as Christians. And are they Christians if they don't live as Christians? The mission of making Jesus known, calling upon people to repent and believe, bringing the nations under his authority, that is how we are to live. That is how we're to die. Come with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 30. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 30. 31. 1 Corinthians 10, 31. He's been discussing about eating and drinking food offered to idols and he concludes, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offence to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. How does Paul live? Never seeking his own benefit, but always the benefit of other people. That's how he lives. And why does he live that way? Well, because he wants to benefit other people. And what is the benefit he wants to bring them? That they may be saved. To the Jew I become as a Jew, to the Greek I become as a Greek, to those outside the law as I become one outside the law, to those under the law I become as one under the law. I never please myself, I'm always seeking to please them, not so that I'll be a man pleaser and everybody will like me, but so that they may hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and come to the salvation that he has won in his death and resurrection, that they may be saved. And when I'm doing that, I'm like Christ. And when I'm doing that, I'm giving you a model as to how to live. Because what he says of himself in verse 33, look at chapter 11, verse 1, be imitators of me. So he's not telling them, this is the way I live, but you can live any other way you like. He's saying, this is the way I live, because this is the way you should live as well. 
not seeking to serve yourself, not seeking to please yourself, not seeking to enjoy yourself, but seeking the salvation of other people. Because when you do that, who are you like? You're not just like Paul, you're like Christ. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. For the Lord Jesus Christ did not come into the world to please himself. The Lord Jesus Christ didn't come and enjoy a happy time down here and show us how to eat and drink and be merry. The Lord Jesus Christ, he who is rich in glory, became the impoverished son of the carpenter in order to preach against a world that hated him, in order to die for his sins, for the enemies who would kill him. That's what the Lord Jesus Christ did. This is a true saying and worthy of all men to be received, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. You want to be like Jesus? Well, go into the world to save sinners and you will be like Jesus. For that's what Paul did. That's what Paul tells the Corinthians to do, the Christians to do. And when Christians do what Paul do, did, then they will be doing what the Lord Jesus did. It's not an optional extra for some fanatic Christians. It is the reality of every Christian. If you do not start off with ministry and put job in the background, you will be consumed by your career and put Jesus in the background. It's awful hard stuff this, isn't it? Now, wherever we go, we Christians improve the quality of life. As I've said over the last two nights, as Christians, we can't go into the third world without it wanting to improve the life of the people there. But that's not missionary work. It's a byproduct of missionary work. Very good byproduct. The missionary goes into a village which he sees people are uneducated. Well, he'll preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus for their salvation, but he cannot ignore their lack of education. He will inevitably start a school at the same time. And you see people being sick from diseases that you can cure, like measles. Well, of course you will do that to help them with their measles, but that's not why you went there. Why you went there was to save them from hell, not from measles. Now, the missionary work is proclaiming the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ until the Lord Jesus Christ returns to bring people under the feet of Christ and to give them the benefits of forgiveness of sins and a changed life. As a result of us going out, we've changed the world in terms of slavery. We've changed the world in terms of justice. We've changed the world in terms of education. We've changed the world in terms of hospitalizations and medicals. And we've changed the world, but that's not what we went to do. What we went to do was convert the world and save the world. And we've done that as well. For that little group of 120 people who on the day of Pentecost were gathered together as all the disciples of Jesus that were left, that hundred has turned into millions and millions of people all over the world. That 120 Jewish Christian people, why there's hardly any Jewish Christian people here tonight, 
But there are people from all kinds of nations and, 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 and races and backgrounds. It's a joy to see the diversity of people in just this group that is before us who are naming the name of the Lord Jesus because he's the king not just of my nation but your nation and everybody's nation. And every nation needs to hear about the Lord Jesus Christ. Those who welcome us and those who won't have anything to do with us, they still need to know about the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the big issue for people is not the mild improvement in this world. The big issue for people is the quantum leap into the resurrection age that comes from repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and his resurrection. By all means, improve society. But to improve society and leave people out of the resurrection age is to do them a terrible disservice. You may be well fed, but if the being well fed means you need a bigger coffin, it has not ultimately helped you. You need eternal life. So, here are my questions and some answers. Four of them. One, have you been raised out of sin and trespasses and death into new life and the resurrection? Have you been raised? If not, talk to us about it in this last few hours that we're here together. Find out how you too can move from this world to the world to come this night at this place. But if you have been raised, then you've been raised to be zealous for good works. You haven't been raised to enjoy yourself. You haven't been raised to own a harbour view. You've been raised for good works that God has prepared beforehand for you to walk in. Question two, are you then committed to the mission? If you're committed to the commission, then you should be willing to do whatever and to go wherever for the glory of God and for the saving of others. Set aside your small ambitions, friend. You know, I want to see Paris before I die. I've seen Paris die. Not that crash hot. You know, the Louvre, you could spend your whole lifetime and you'd never be able to see all that's in the Louvre. What's the point? Get to the end of it and say, I've seen it all. The brain that has taken in everything in the Louvre is still ashes in the grave and in the crematorium and has forgotten what it's seen. No, no, give up your small ambitions. If you're committed to the ministry, the mission of the gospel, then you should be willing to do whatever for the glory of God in order to save other people. Question three. Have you the gifts to proclaim the gospel? Well, we all have the gifts to proclaim the gospel, haven't we? They're different gifts and varied gifts that we have. But if you've got such gifts to proclaim the gospel that others would pay for you to do it, then you can learn to train to be placed in gospel work. 
And if you haven't got the gifts that would encourage people to pay you to do it, you can still train and learn and work out how to fund yourself in the ministry of the gospel. Either way, while you're at university, learn how to share the gospel with your friends. Why? Steve did it and he wasn't even converted. <laughs> at New South Wales University, you can never trust him out there, brother. <laughs> learn how to share the gospel with your friends while you have the opportunity. Your staff workers on your campuses are terrific trainers. Tell them you want to be trained. Question number four. Where should I go? What mission field should I go to? Where should I go? That really is the most unimportant question. Because Jesus Christ has died for the sins of the whole world. It doesn't matter where you go. That's the going is not the important part. It's the making the disciples is the important part. You can do it in Wollongong, you can do it in Campbelltown, you can do it in Bankstown, you can do it in... Well, it's very hard to do it in the North Shore because it's so hard for the rich to enter the Kingdom of Heaven. But you can do it in most places. Why? You can even do it in Melbourne. Now, there's a deep, dark place to go to with the Gospel. <laughs> it really doesn't matter where you go. Go next door to the person beside you. It doesn't matter where... The, the which mission field to go to is of almost total unimportance. It's being a missionary wherever you go. That is the critical thing that you need to be involved in. So what help can you get? Well, the Christian group on campus is the, one of the most, it's one of the great benefits. The reason to go to university is the Christian group on campus. I used to say that. I used to tease the students at New South Wales University and I'd say one day people had come to this university because of campus Bible study. And then one day people started to choose to go to New South Wales University because of campus Bible study. I was only joking, actually, but I took credit for the prophecy, you know, I mean, it came true. There, we'll take that out of the tape, we don't want, uh, anyway. But there are other things that go to. Uh, there's the mission-minded conference in the long week in October. There's the national training event in early uh, week in December. There's uh, missionary conventions like the Church Missionary Society, which is uh, their conferences, their week conferences. Are, it's the same time as the English uh, as the cricket test, first second week of uh, January. Can never remember which one it is, um, but it's up there at Katoomba. Uh, talk to the pastor of your church in your congregation. Sydney is enormously blessed with some of the best theological colleges in the world. It's extraordinary the riches we have in Bible colleges and theological colleges. There's, there's all manner of... There's any number of ways you can be involved and engaged. But you will never be involved and engaged if your heart is not in it. The problem is not lack of resources, opportunity, privileges, training, support and help. There's only one place where there's a problem. It's inside your own heart. Are you convinced that Jesus rose from the dead? Well then, it's not just an intellectual fact. If he's risen from the dead, then the judgment is coming. He is the ruler of the universe. He has sent his spirit into his people 
to take the message to the world. And the only reason he hasn't returned yet is to give people the opportunity to repent. So what is your life supposed to be about? What are you supposed to do? Don't live for yourself, live for him. And if you live for him, you'll die for him. And if you live and die for him, you'll give your life for the salvation of other people. And when you give your life for the salvation of other people, who do you think you'll be like? But Jesus himself, who gave his life for the salvation of other people. If you want to be a Christian, you must be a missionary. There's no other real way to be a Christian. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that he did give his life for us, that though he were rich in splendour, yet he became poor for us. We thank you, Father, for his grace, his generosity, his giving of himself, that he should die on the cross and accept your wrath for us, even while we were still your enemies. We are amazed at your love. We are amazed at his grace. And Father, please, by your Spirit, turn that amazement, that thankfulness and gratitude of our hearts and minds and love, turn that into the transforming power of lives that are to be lived for you, that we may truly serve our fellow men and women, our citizens and the nations of the world, by laying down our lives for the salvation of others. Help us to reorder our priorities and our choices, our values and our attitudes. Help us to reorganise, reprioritise the choices of job and work and life and of where we live and how we live, that we may be your missionaries, Father, taking the message of Jesus his love and his victory, his conquest over evil and his coronation as your Christ and King to the ends of the world, that men and women may come by repentance to put their faith and trust in your promises and in your Son's blood and might find the salvation that you have won for us. So move by your Spirit amongst us this night, Father that we may not be just hearers of your word, but doers of your word. And we ask it through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. I'm about to make an announcement. Yes, keep coming. about to make an announcement that uh, uh, your staff members don't know about and if I've got it wrong, tough. Do what I say, staff members. If you know that you should be giving your life away in the cause of the gospel in a full-time capacity or want to know whether that's you, 
I want you to go and tell your staff member about it. But not tonight. Tonight, you see, people will say, yes, I want to do that, out of emotional response to the context in which we are. Emotional volunteers become emotional missionaries and emotional missionaries never make it. I want you to do it when you get back to campus, which is in a week or two's time, isn't it? If you can't remember in a week or two's time, that's all right. You weren't fit for the job anyway, were you? If it's not deep in your conviction, then it's not you. But if you really know you should be giving your life to this work and you have got the gifts that could do it full time, or at least you should find out whether you've got the gifts to do it full time, then when you get back to campus, that first week back at campus, go find your staff worker and tell them. Staff workers, you'll live with that, won't you? If you won't, tough. <laughs> Be there, ready for there, so that we may encourage you forwards. Is that clear?